Well, welcome, church. Uh, my name is Aaron. I get to be a pastor here, and I am so glad you are joining us today. Today, we finished the series that we have been calling Our Living Hope. And I think this series has been just of vital importance for us as a body because uh, of the season that we find ourselves walking in. And where do we find hope? Well, we find our hope in Jesus. And so that's what we've been talking about. And today we will end this series really where Peter ended. Uh, we've been in the book of 1 Peter and we end right where he ended this letter to a bunch of folks that were going through a lot of uncertainty, a lot of, of struggle, a lot of pain, maybe not so different than what we're walking through. And so we're going to end with his last words to them in his letter. And it's these beautiful words. It's 1 Peter 5.14. This is what he writes. Peace to all of you who are in Christ. There's a lot in that statement, especially in the times that we find ourselves in. And I imagine for many of us, the, the main descriptor of our experience these days has not necessarily been one of peace. Like, like me, you maybe find yourself just kind of longing for peace and, and desiring peace and wondering if, if peace can actually be part of our experience in the world that we find ourselves in, in this mess that surrounds us today. And yet, this sign-off from Peter bears within it the key to peace. Peace to all who are in Christ, which leads us to this truth. The crisis I'm in will never be greater than Christ in me. This is where we must live. And it's so important because we have to know what to do and how to live when life is not clean, right? When, when it's not clear, when, when things don't get wrapped up in a tidy little bow, when, when, when our life doesn't end like an 80s sitcom, that, that, that we have to know beyond any shadow of any doubt that in the midst of my uncertainty, Jesus is still greater. And in that we know that God can and will meet us in our mess. But see, all of us, we have these experiences where perhaps we didn't respond with that understanding in mind. Perhaps we didn't respond well. Reminds me of, of a funny story. There was a, a flight going on and uh, people are, you know, in, in the plane and everything. And, and this is what they hear come over the speaker, which is not uncommon, but they, they hear this exchange. The captain comes on. Hello, ladies and gentlemen, this is the captain speaking. We're going to be flying at 35,000 feet today. We'll make it to our destination just in about an hour and a half. The winds are out of the southeast. Oh, no, oh, no, oh, no. Click. They're all in the cabin. Everyone is tense. What's going on? This is horrible. This is bad. Captain comes back on the speaker. Well, ladies and gentlemen, I'm sorry about that. Didn't mean to startle you. Uh, I happened to spill a cup of coffee on my lap while I was talking to you. You should see the front of my pants. And out of the back of the cabin of the plane, the guy cries out, you should see the back of mine. <laughs> we don't always respond well when life gets messy. See, how we respond in crisis, it, it tells us a lot about our faith. It tells us a lot about our worldview. It tells us really who we trust in. Because crisis has this way of sobering us from all of our pet philosophies. We all encounter a crisis. The question is then, where is God in the midst of my crisis, in the midst of my storm? Where is my living hope then? 
That's the question we're going to lean into today as we talk about how to meet God in my mess. And to do so, we're actually going to pivot off of the book of 1 Peter, and we're going to go to the story of a woman, a story that is found in the Old Testament. This woman found herself in a very real crisis, and yet she learned some things. She learned to operate in some new ways and ultimately to see some amazing results. And it's my hope that we can all learn, as she did, that God wants to be found right in the middle of our mess. And the first thing I point out is this. Learn to seek God in your mess. Learn to seek God in your mess. 2 Kings 4 verse 1 is where we start. Let's read this together. Big voices all together right where you are. Go. The wife of a man from the company of prophets cried out to Elisha, Your servant, my husband, is dead. And you know that he revered the Lord. But now his creditor is coming to take my two boys as his slaves. Now, first understand, this was a very real crisis. This was not a, oh, I broke a nail kind of crisis, or a, oh, man, they forgot to put soy milk in my latte kind of crisis. No, this was a legit crisis. Her husband just died. He was one of Elisha the prophet's team. He was part of what they called the company of the prophets. This was a tough time for this woman. She was in her own personal grief. But then compound that with the fact that they had debt. And the law said that if a man died with debt, that a creditor could then take their offspring, their sons, as bond servants for up to seven years. It was a system that was often abused and it was often cruel. The equivalent for us would be like your spouse dies and Visa calls you and says, we're going to take your kids, they're going to go to the Midwest to work in a call center until your debt is paid off. That's the equivalent. So not only is this woman dealing with the loss of her husband, but with the crisis of the potential loss of her sons and of her own tenuous ability to survive. So what does she do? She cries out to Elisha. She cried out to the prophet. This was really the cultural equivalent of crying out to God. That's how you did it then. At, at this point, the prophet was really the vehicle to talk with God. Now, we now have Jesus, who is prophet, priest, and king, so we don't need that mediator. But at that time, in that culture, the prophet was the vehicle. So she cries out to Elisha. She seeks God. She didn't cry out to her mother-in-law, as far as I can tell, didn't cry out to a city leader, didn't cry out to a friend. She didn't cry out on Facebook or Instagram, even TikTok. No, she cried out to Elisha. And in doing so, she was crying out to God. She gave God a chance, a place to hear her cry. See, at times the problem for us in crisis is the temptation to just work harder to just figure it out on my own. I'm going to do this. I don't need anything. I can do it by myself to solve our crisis under our own power. I'll just get more information. I'll just get more news. I'll just gather more opinions. And often the first place we look for answers is anywhere but God. And so we end up getting a bunch of wrong answers. It reminds me of these 
true but funny wrong answers to some exam questions that, that people have answered. Let's look at the first one. First question in an exam, answer, actual answer here. Question, what ended in 1896? Answer, 1895, <laughs> obviously. Here's another one. Question, what is the highest frequency noise that a human can register? Answer, Ariana Grande, of course. And then question, Bob has 32 candy bars. Bob eats 29 candy bars. What does Bob have now? Answer, diabetes. Bob has diabetes. See, on our own, we often come up with wrong answers. That's the problem. We try to solve our crisis in every way but the way we were designed to solve our crisis. We were designed to solve our crisis with God. John 15:5 says, apart from me, Jesus says, apart from me, you can do nothing. So the way we were designed to solve a crisis is to come to the God who loves us first and say a very simple and effective four-letter word. Maybe not the one you're thinking. It's the word help. That I go to God first. That, that God is my first call instead of my last resort. There's a story of a woman, she was going to work at a textile mill. And, uh, and she went to work, there was this big sign on the wall that she knew obviously was very, very important. And, and the sign read this way, it says, when your thread becomes tangled, call the foreman. So the young woman got to work at this textile, she's sewing and doing things, and her thread did become tangled. And so it was her first day and she didn't want to make a big scene. And so she started to try to work on, I can get this untangled myself. But as she started to try to get it untangled, it just got worse and worse and just became this huge bird's nest to where she then finally, she had to call the foreman. She couldn't do anything else. And the foreman came over and she looked at the foreman and said, I, I did the best I could, but I just couldn't fix it. And the foreman said this to her. No, actually, you, you didn't do the best you could. To do the best you could would have meant that before you tried to fix it yourself, you would call upon me. That's the best you could have done. Why is it that we get duped into believing that somehow coming to God with the issues and the crisis of our life is, is going to bother him. Like, like we should really try to do this all on our own before we come to God. Like we don't want to interrupt God, you know. He's got a lot of stuff going on. He's got like a pandemic and hurricanes and political unrest. And there's murder hornets now. And there's like a helium shortage. There's lots of stuff that God's having to deal with. So I don't want to bug God with my little problems. It's like God's reading some giant cosmic newspaper. Oh, don't bother dad. He's reading. But Jeremiah 33.3 says, call to me and I will answer you. We've got to remember that if it matters to us, it matters to God. So talk to him. Connect with him. Do this before you do anything else. As James 4.2 says, you do not have because you do not ask God. So when the crisis comes, and it has for many of us, when our mess is at its worst, when, when we get that call, there's been an accident, 
When we get that letter, there's a foreclosure. When we get that news, our job's going away. When we get that positive test for COVID, where do we go first? To our wisdom? Is it internet research? To our lawyer? Or do we go to our knees? Because if we are to find God in our crisis, it starts with a conversation. Learn to cry out to God. Learn to seek God in your mess. That's the first thing. Secondly, learn to see God in your mess. Learn to see God in your mess. Let's continue the passage. 2 Kings uh, chapter 4, verse 2. Let's read it. Big voices together. Go. Elisha replied to her, How can I help you? Tell me, what do you have in your house? Your servant has nothing there at all, she said, except a small jar of olive oil. Elisha has this wonderful response. How can I help you? Tell me, what, what is it that you have in your house? And she says something really, really interesting. She says, I've got nothing. I got zip, zilch, nada, donut. I have nothing. Have you ever felt that way? God, I'm, I'm just done. God, I'm out. That's it for me. And yet it's very interesting that in the midst of explaining to God that she has nothing, she tells him about a little something. I've got nothing, God, except this little jar of olive oil. I think we do this too. We believe like this woman that we have nothing, yet we always have a little something. For her, it was just a little bit of olive oil. But guess what? That, that little something was enough. Often crisis, it leads us to feel hopeless as if we do have nothing. Yet the truth is we always have a little something. That I, I still have a little breath in my lungs. That I still have a little life left in these limbs. I still have a little faith to believe God again. And we're reminded of this kingdom math. A little plus God is enough. Because all God needs in our crisis is a place to start. This is how we see God in our mess. Uh, maybe you remember there's a story in Mark chapter 9. And there's a, a man who comes to Jesus with his son. He had actually gone to the disciples and uh, tried to, to have them help his son because his son was demonized and, um, and the disciples weren't able to help him. So he comes to Jesus with his son. And, and as he's talking to Jesus about his son, the, the, the demon seizes his son and the, the son falls down and he's writhing and he's foaming at the mouth. He's doing all that kind of stuff. And, and Jesus is so cool. It is the, the coolest conversation because as this boy is, is just writhing and foaming at the mouth, he's just talking to the dad. He's like, oh, hey, wow. So how long has he been like this? Oh, seems like a nice kid, you know? It's just a really cool, casual conversation. And in the midst of that, this man says something to Jesus. He says, Jesus, I tried your disciples. They didn't help. But if you can do anything for him, would you do that? If you can help him, could you help him? And Jesus replied to him as this. He's like, if? If? <laughs> what do you mean, if I can do anything? And, and he says to this man, everything's possible if you believe. It's interesting here that the if is never about God's ability or desire to heal. The if is about our belief 
that he can. His reply is this. The man says this in reply. He says, I believe, but help me overcome my unbelief. He says, I have faith, but it's small. It, it feels weak, but it's there. It's real. I think we can identify with that. And so that's what this man shares with Jesus. And Jesus commands then the demons to leave his son. And the boy is set free. This dad's faith, though small, it was enough. We're told in scripture that faith as, as small as a tiny mustard seed can actually move a mountain. Why? Because God wants to give us a place to start. And with God, it just takes a little to give him that place to start. In crisis, God does not want me to give myself up. Instead, in crisis, God wants me to give myself over, to give myself to him, to believe more, to rely more, to trust God fully. Because let's face it, trusting this world is not working. It's not working. It never has, but it really doesn't work now. Because everybody's trying to figure this out, but no one really knows the answer. So bless everybody for trying, but trust God. The question then is, have I given God a place to start in my crisis, in my mess? Have I invited him into it? Do I want to see God right there? See, sometimes I'm, I'm not sure we really want to see God in the midst of our mess for this reason. I may want to see all of who God is, but I'm not sure I want God to see all of who I am. We had some friends over recently and we ended up um, messing around with our fridge because the water thing wasn't working. And so we had to pull our fridge out and we're looking at, at the, the hoses in the back and what was causing that not to work. And so we pull our fridge out. Now we got this fridge with the house when we bought it. So I don't know how long it's been in that place, but we've never pulled it out. And it had obviously not been pulled out for like decades. And so when you pull a fridge out, that is a mess back there. I mean, there's all kinds of fuzzes and there's dirts and there's dog hair and there's cat hair. We don't even have a cat, but there was cat hair and there's like Legos and there's broken glass and there's like what used to be a grape, but now it's a raisin. I mean, it was disgusting, all of that back there. And this is how you know when you have a good friend. They see all that stuff, it's not pretty, and they're okay with it. In fact, they even help you sweep it out to get it clean. This is where God wants to start with us, that we'd be willing to invite him into that mess. We see here that the right place to start in our crisis is with the little that we do have amidst a crisis that seems so much bigger that we invite God right into that place with us because we want to see him. But we struggle with this. And the problem is that until we see God in the midst of our crisis, we really don't see it all. We must train ourselves to see differently. That instead of looking where God is absent, we must look for where God is present. I'm going to see what you're doing and join you there. Let me see what you're doing right now, God. God wants us to see differently, to give us a new way to walk through.
through our mess. This means we come to God and we say, God, I, I really don't have enough wisdom for this circumstance. And God says, that's okay. I'll transform your thoughts with my thoughts. And we say, God, God, I'm really not sure that this job is going to last. I feel like it's going to go away. And God says, that's okay. I'm going to provide for you. I'm going to give you what you need. You say, God, I'm, I'm really not sure how to have love for that person. And God says, that's okay. I'll show you how to love them with my love. In our mess, we think we have to know how to figure it out to the finish. God says, all you have to do is give me a place to start. Hand me the little that you have. What you see as nothing, God sees as this essential something because it's a place to begin. That's how we learn to see God in our mess. That's the second thing. Here's the last thing. Learn to seize God in your mess. Learn to seize God in your mess. Let's finish out this passage. 2 Kings 4, verse 3 to 7. Big voices, ready, go. Elisha said, go around and ask all your neighbors for empty jars. Don't ask for just a few. Then go inside and shut the door behind you and your sons. Pour oil into all the jars, and as each is filled, put it to one side. She left him and shut the door behind her and her sons. They brought the jars to her, and she kept pouring. When all the jars were full, she said to her son, Bring me another one. But he replied, There's not a jar left. Then the oil stopped flowing. She went and told the man of God, and he said, Go sell the oil and pay your debts. You and your sons can live on what is left. Things get very practical here. God is giving them a path, and they are going to commit to that path. They're going to grab hold of it with both hands. They're going to seize it. This is an example to us. She's told by Elisha, ask for some jars, not just a few, get a bunch of them. And so she seizes those instructions, and she sends her sons out into her community. So they're going everywhere. Hey, can we borrow that jar from you? Hey, can we borrow that rice jar from you just for a little while? Sure, yeah, you can borrow the rice jar. Hey, would you mind if we borrow that water jar? Okay, you can borrow the water jar. Hey, how about those laundry pots? Can we borrow the laundry pots? You betcha, borrow the laundry pots. Hey, that flower pot, could we dump that out, flower out and, and bring it back to you? Can we borrow that? Sure, do that. Hey, how about that Tupperware? Can we borrow some of that Tupperware? You betcha, take the Tupperware. Hey, how about that bedpan? Can we borrow that? Sure, you may want to rinse that first, but go ahead and use the bedpan that'll be great. They brought everything, right? They bring it all in, not a little, a lot. And they seize this call from God. After they got all the jars that they could borrow, they go inside and they close the door because this is going to be a little bit crazy. And they take the little that she had, this little jar of olive oil, and she starts pouring. And out of that little Suddenly, the first jar is full, and then the next jar is full, and the next jar is full, and another, and another, over and over. They watch this happen until finally the last jar is filled, and then the oil stops pouring. What stands out to me is this. It's only when we get to the end of the vessel for God's miracles that God's miracles stop. See, God is never limited 
in his ability to do miracles, yet there is a limit to the number of vessels willing to participate in his miracles, meaning us. We're the vessels, we're the jars, and where the jars stop, the oil stops. We're even described in scripture as jars of clay. We're the vessels that God wants to pour his miracles into. So my prayer for all of us is, Lord, would you never find my vessel unavailable for you to fill? Perhaps you've thought in your life, man, you know, God doesn't want to meet me in my crisis. Maybe you feel like you've gone too far. You've made too many mistakes, that you're a broken vessel. But as we see here, God absolutely uses broken vessels. The question is, will we take the actions that allows God to meet us? Will we give God a place to move in our midst, in our crisis, in our mess, as long as they had a vessel available, God was willing to fill it. And the minute the vessels were gone, the miracle was over. The problem is not God's willingness to meet us. The problem is our willingness to give God a place to do so. See, so much of walking with God through this crisis, of, of finding God's hope in the midst of this mess, is taking actions that actually give him a place to move. That we seize those things that he calls us to that may not even make, fully make sense to us. That I so believe and know that God will show up that I'm going to behave differently because of it. That in that I'm, I'm willing to risk some things. I'm willing to lean on him in new ways. I'm willing to trust him with actions of faith that actually create a space for God to show up. Let me give you an example. Uh, this is one of Paula's stories, but it's a favorite story to me. As many of you know, my wife Paula, uh, she uh, was in Europe on a music team for a couple of years before she went to Bible college. And uh, she tells this story. There was a woman in what was then the Soviet Union. And uh, this woman was not elderly, but she was placed in a retirement home there in that system because of her health issues. And so she was placed there in this spot, kind of just really in a lot of ways just to, to die there. And so even though she wasn't that old, she was in this spot. And so the woman had a birthday. And on that birthday, she was incredibly lonely and isolated. And, and she didn't know God. But on that birthday, she was just so lonely and so broken that she cried out to God on that birthday and said, God, if you're real, then on my next birthday, I want to hear from you that you love me. I want, I want you to let me know that you love me. So a year goes by, and a year to the day, her, her birthday comes, and on that very day is the day that, that the team that Paula is with pulls up to that very retirement home. They're going to minister there. They're going to perform there. And so they go about their stuff, setting up their gear, all their instruments, and Paula has responsibilities, but she got them done early that day, and so she had some time before they were going to sing and, and do the things and minister there. And so she grabbed a friend and an interpreter, and went out into the retirement home, huge retirement home, and was just going to visit some of the residents and, and, and say hi to them and encourage them. She ends up turning into this one room where she encounters a woman who is there, not because she's elderly, but because of her health that is not good. And she leans down, kneels beside the bed of this woman, and she says through the interpreter these 
first words, I'm here to tell you that God loves you. And the woman broke down in tears as she recalled the prayer that she had made one year prior, asking God, would you on my birthday tell me that you love me? And that day, he did. See, Paula took an action of faith, and then God did the rest. She made a place for him to show up. This is how we seize God, that we actually do something differently in our lives, that we become these vessels that God can fill. It's what God wants to do in our lives. But here's the problem. It feels so vulnerable to us, doesn't it? Why? Because we're actually creating questions that only God can answer. And we're, we're creating problems that only God can solve. And if that's ever been true, it's true now. Yet this is exactly how Christ followers are supposed to live. Trusting God to do what we can't. To do it in His time and in His way. God wants to move in our lives. He longs to move in our lives. The question is, have we given Him any room to do so? Or are we still just clinging to trying to plan things and, and clinging to, to things that are so solidified and so structured, if I can hold on to that, that we don't really need God anyway? Is there a place for God in our crisis? Have we made that spot? Or have we so filled our lives with our own conclusions and our own wisdom and our own action steps that there's no room for God there? Have we made room for God to move in our mess? Learn to seize God right there. I'll wrap up with this. Bob Goff recently tweeted this. I thought it was good. He said, the way we deal with uncertainty says a lot about whether Jesus is ahead of us leading or behind us just carrying our stuff. Which is it for you? Because Jesus wants to lead us through our mess, not just pick up after our mess. And this is going to require a different kind of response from us in these days. That we would actually learn to seek God in our mess, seek him first, that we learn to see God in our mess, realize what he's doing, and that we learn to seize God in our mess, that we'd give him a place to move, we'd, we'd hang on to him in a new way. I, I love the story in Matthew 14. Jesus sends the disciples across the lake in a boat, ahead of him in a boat, and as they're going across the lake, this storm comes, and it's huge, and it's a really tough row, and it's the, the darkest part of the night. It's like the middle of the night, and it's a crisis, and it's uncertain for them. Uh, if you can imagine, it's like being in a plane in a thunderstorm, and there's, there's lightning that is highlighting the clouds, and you're feeling every bump and all the spray of the waves, and they're crashing, and they're rolling, and it's not safe, and it's not comfortable. And in the midst of all of that, out walks Jesus, <laughs> not out swims Jesus or out rows Jesus in another boat. No, Jesus walks out there and they freak out, which I don't blame them for that. And Jesus says, it's okay, it's me. And Peter says, if it is you, call me out there, I'll go with you. And Jesus says, come on out. And in mid-crisis, 
Peter walks on the water to Jesus. And he's one of two people in history that I know have done so, him and Jesus. It's that kind of walk that Jesus is inviting us to. Jesus wants to be our living hope in the midst of this mess to actually learn what it is to walk with him on the waves of our life and to invite him to be closer to us than ever before. So I'm inviting you and Jesus is inviting you to take your first steps today because your mess is ground zero for God's miracle. Let's pray.